this evening before Pastor Cody preaches are from Isaiah and John. Isaiah 55, 1 through 13. Please follow along if you can. The prophet Isaiah says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul shall live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people a leader and commander for the people. Surely you shall call a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud that it may give seed, to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing which I sent it. For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. And it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. And then from the Gospel of John, chapter 2, the first 12 verses. The Apostle says, On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing twenty or thirty gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some out now, and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, 
And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior, and you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum, he, his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they did not stay there many days. Praise God. Pastor Cody. All right, if you uh, were reading along there in your Bibles, just keep your Bible open to uh, John chapter 2, because that that he just read is actually the text I'm going to be preaching this evening. Um, And uh, I just want to say, first off, that I'm glad to be here and thankful that uh, Pastor Dorman asked if I would be willing to fill in, and I'm I'm happy to do so. Uh, I count it as an honor and privilege when I'm asked to speak in uh, another pulpit in church, so I'm glad to be here this evening. Now, my church, we're going through uh, the Gospel of John, and we have um, made it to John chapter 3, after quite a few months of being in John chapter 1 and little time in John chapter 2, but I found this um, section to be very uplifting. And as we make application, as we make application to to certain things um, here in, in pertaining to our life, I find it to be a very uplifting and edifying uh, passage as well as giving glory to God. And so we're going to just dive right in here um, pretty quick, but I'd like to just offer a word of prayer before we start and before we get into the text, so if you will. Our dear Heavenly Father, we are thankful, Lord, to be in your house this evening, be here with other believers who have a common confession, and that is Christ is Lord. Father, we ask for those who uh, cannot be here for whatever the reason is, that they may hear later, they may watch online, but whatever it is, Lord, let your word go out, and as we see in Scripture, it will not return to you void, it will accomplish its work. And so we ask for your Spirit to be active among us this evening. Lord, give me boldness and clarity as I preach your word, that I might not shy away from saying the true things. Give us the gospel, as Spurgeon says, that cuts and wounds, Lord, because that is the gospel that saves. Let our hearts be pricked with the truth. And let our minds be wrapped in the Word of God and and grasped by Your holiness, by Your power, by Your sovereignty, by Your love. Be with all those in here. May their hearts be receptive, Lord. Be with me. May I preach to the glory of God. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what we see here in John 2, we're going to be looking at the first miracle. Um, But before this, leading up to this, John chapter 1 is so foundational to good theology and how to interpret how to understand 
all of Scripture, the Gospel of John, but all of Scripture, really. We are to view Scripture through a Trinitarian lens, right? The Father, Son, and Spirit working in perfect harmony, three in one. We sing these songs, uh, Holy, Holy, Holy is one of them. God in three persons, Blessed Trinity. The Trinitarian theology that we see at the very outset of the Gospel of John is something that a Christian needs to understand as we work our way through. We see the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working together. And it's laid out that Jesus was here from before the foundation of the world. He is eternal. We see that in John 1. It works through the testimony of John the Baptist in the great confession that behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He points to Christ. We see Jesus calling His first disciples. And then we see this interaction right before we get to chapter 2 of Jesus calling Philip and Nathaniel. Jesus shows in that section there, in, in John chapter 1, that He is the, the, the ladder between heaven and earth. The only way to God is through Jesus Christ. And then we get to chapter 2. And first off, we see this interaction here. This chapter starts off in a very interesting way. It begins to show the interaction between Jesus and Mary and some of the other guests at the wedding. But notice the way the chapter starts. If you look down there, John chapter 2 and verse 1, on the third day, on the third day. Now, Christians see the significance of the third day talk in Scripture, right? We, we understand this. Arthur Pink makes the significant statement when he writes this. The third day is the day of resurrection. Now, there are allusions throughout the Scripture of the resurrection of Christ on the third day. By way of illustration, turn over to Genesis chapter 1, if you will. Genesis chapter 1. <clears throat> Genesis 1, and starting in verse 9. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together. He called seas and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed according to its own kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the third day. On the third day of creation, the earth emerged from being submerged in the water. On the third day, the world was clothed with vegetation. How awesome is it? I was thinking about this as I was working through this uh, John chapter 2. How awesome it is that our God shows us the p- picture of resurrection and life springing forth from the very beginning of the creation. From day 3, that would happen on the third day. All things are pointing to Christ. Creation is pointing to Him. Now there's something else going on here that we need to note. For almost 2,000 years, Israel had been without a king, without a priest, and without a home. 
Again, we turn to Arthur Pink and he points out that Judaism at this point was just a dead husk. The heart and life of it were gone. But there was hope that something better was coming. This is the point of the book of Hebrews. If you study the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews is exhorting his hearers to follow Christ over and again and not to return to something less. You see, they, they, these believers had accepted Christ or come to Christ at least verbally. And at that point, then they're trying to go back to religious rites and rituals and different things like that. And the author of Hebrews is saying, stay with Christ. He is better. He is more excellent than anything that you could do. Stay with Christ. Not to return to a dead religion that offers no hope, but to cling to Christ. This is the hope that's happening here in the Gospel of John as well, just from the very beginning on the third day. Here's where we see it in the Scripture. Turn to Hosea chapter 6. Hosea chapter 6. And verses 1 and 2. Hosea 6, 1 and 2. Hosea 6, 1 and 2. Come, let us return to the Lord, for He has torn us, that He may heal us. He has struck us down, and He will bind us up. After two days, He will revive us. On the third day, He will raise us up, that we may live before Him. You see what they're saying after the third day? He will revive them. He will revive them. When they're saying two days here, I, it's, they're not meaning two 24-hour periods either. See, we, when we read the Scriptures, we've got to know there are different types of speech that are included in Scripture. Not everything is to just be understood as wooden literal. Okay? He's not meaning two 24-hour periods. It's more of what we see in Second Peter chapter 3, and verse 8, that a thousand years is one day to God. And since that's the case, we would see that day two for the Jews was about to be ended and the third day was fast approaching. A new hope arose and sprang forth. This is the day of resurrection and renaissance to them. Here's Jesus now on the scene. No king, no hope. Judaism being the dead husk, a dead religion. And now Jesus is here. Jesus and his disciples are at this wedding in Cana, and Cana would be kind of an obscure corner of the world, too. It was remote from Jerusalem. Now, there's not much meat to extrapolate from the town of Cana being mentioned here, but something that we should see, and just practically speaking, is that Jesus sanctifies the marriage relationship by being at this wedding. He sanctifies the marriage relationship. God ordained marriage in the Garden of Eden. And then the Son of God sets a stamp of approval upon marriage. And this is why the sanctity of marriage ought to be so essential to us. We should really take it serious, right? The sanctity of marriage. Marriage is a God-ordained union between one man and one woman for life. Marriage gives us a beautiful picture of the Gospel where two sinners are reconciled. 
becoming united into one flesh, taking their vows before God and man, that they will forsake all others unto death. Now this is where I like to pause and ask married couples, and those who are not married but who desire to be married, some questions. I'd like to ask the men, do you have a wondering eye? Or does your wife know that you are devoted to her? Do your children know that you love your wife? One of the most important things for your children to see if you are a man is to see that you love their mom. Do your children know that you love your wife? One time I was doing marriage counseling uh, where a young wife had some insecurities in her marriage because she found out that her husband had a wondering eye. And as I was sitting there with the couple, she said, I just feel like he wishes I looked different. And I can't compete with some of these girls. You see, his wondering eye was online. Now, after a few scolding comments to her husband, I said, when you go in public, hold your wife's hand. Be proud of the woman that God gave you. But what a lesson for us to learn, right? How dare we take our wife's hands from her dad and her parents and then not desire to hold her hand any longer after a while? Where we would say, nope, that's enough for me. Ten years is a long time in marriage. It's just not there anymore. You made vows before God in a God-ordained ceremony to love and cherish this woman till only death itself parts you. Do you still love her? And does she know it? Women, do you respect your husband? So often the problem for the woman isn't the wondering eye, although it can be at times, but it is this horrid deception that we see in the fall in the Garden of Eden when God tells the woman, your desire will be for your husband and he shall rule over you. The desire God is talking about isn't this physical desire where you just say, man, I love him. He's so handsome. He's got everything I've ever wanted. It's not that type of a desire. It's the desire to be in charge, to rule over your husband and be the head of your house. The headship that God has ordained is Christ, husband, wife, children. And I've seen so many wives that hope and say that it is Christ, wife, children, husband. See, we don't respect the God-ordained order of marriage, especially in society. We see it everywhere. Everywhere we look, we see it on TV. You turn on any sitcom and the dad is the buffoon, the mom's got everything all together, the kids know more than him. We see it there. We see it in the, in, in the idea that it is okay, that gay marriage is okay. And it should be legal in every state. And that it's normal. Christ has sanctified marriage. We need to be submissive to His order. Wives, be submissive to your husbands. Husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave Himself for her. Are you devoted to one another in this most holy and reverent institution of marriage? And do you fight for it by forsaking all others? I pray that you do. This institution of marriage is in order and and Christ is there at this wedding in Cana. 
Now another point of application, something a little bit lighter, is that men, it's okay to attend weddings. Right? It's okay for men to attend a wedding. I don't particularly enjoy attending weddings unless I'm performing them, but it's okay to attend a wedding. We should celebrate them. What a joyous occasion when we see the gospel in a union between a husband and wife. Then we see at some point in the celebration here, in John 2, the wine runs out. Look down there at verse 3 of John chapter 2. John chapter 2 and verse 3. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. So the wine runs out. And Mary goes and tells Jesus about it. And what does Jesus say? Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now that sounds to us kind of harsh, doesn't it? Doesn't it? I challenged my son when I preached this sermon at my church, my 14-year-old son. I said, why don't, when, when mom asks you to take the trash out, why don't you say, or she says the trash is full, why don't you say, woman, what does this have to do with me? And see how it goes for you. You see, it sounds kind of harsh, right? It sounds harsh. What do you think would happen to him? I know what would happen to him. I, I'm not going to say it in public. I know what would happen to him. But it sounds harsh. Now, in our culture, it's disrespectful to talk like that, but it wasn't then. He wasn't meaning it as a pejorative, saying, Woman, you're less. And you can see from verse 5 that Mary didn't take it that way either. Look down there at verse 5. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. She doesn't say, Oh, Jesus, why would you talk to me that way? She doesn't do that. She knew that at some point, Jesus would take care of the wine at the wedding. But the most important thing to see from verse 4 is that Jesus didn't immediately turn the water into wine when Mary inquired about it. He didn't immediately do it. Jesus was strictly obedient to God. He was going to do it at some point, right? But not a moment sooner than he was supposed to. What does he say? My hour has not yet come. So she inquires about it and he says, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. He was going to do it, but not a moment sooner than he was supposed to. He was to be obedient to his heavenly father. This is amazing because we can make this application so clearly for us. You see, I'm... I'm so used to pointing out in my, when I preach that sometimes when we have a command from God to do something, we don't do it. Taking our time, dragging our feet, saying, oh man, i got to go do this. J.R. Miller points this out, and I've found this to be very convicting in my life. Jeremy Miller writes, Sometimes we find it hard to wait for God. But in no way is our obedience more beautifully shown than in our self-restraint under the direction of God's will. Too many of us run before we are sent. It takes great patience 
to wait on God. Here's the wedding, the feast. They have the wine. Mary comes to him. The wine's gone. He's not going to do it yet. He's going to do it, but not a moment too soon. Psalm 46.10 tells us this, Be still and know that I am God. When was the last time that we sat still in awe and wonder of God? See, we can read the commands in here. Go into all the world and make disciples. And we say, go, 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 go. And we should go. But when do we sit before a holy God and examine our lives and say, search me. Try me. See if there be any wicked way in me. Know me. Show me my sin before you, God. Be still. Now, when we talk about this here, this section being the first miracle of Jesus, we mean it to be the first recorded miracle. You see, up to this point, uh, Jesus lived in great seclusion. So the water into wine marks a very critical moment in Jesus's life. Now, after this is done, everyone would recognize him publicly. The religious leaders of the day would know who he is. And we know from the reading of the Scriptures that Jesus is hardly ever alone after this moment. Mark's a very critical moment in his life. People are flocking to him for healing and miracles. You look down there, verses 7 through 10. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. Now we see the water pots are mentioned, and there's nothing that significant in the water pots themselves. Other than that, it is a detail that shows us, as the Scripture says, Uh, that they needed the water pots for purification rites for the Jews. And when you look at verse 8, this is where the miracle takes place. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. What goes into the pot is water. And what's drawn out is wine. And not just wine, the best wine. The best wine. Jesus provided the wine to be used for the wedding celebration. What his mom approached him about, and he said, my hour's not yet come, now it's time. He tells the servants to give it to the master of the feast, and they do, and he doesn't know where it came from, right? The master doesn't know where this wine came from. Notice that. He even calls the bridegroom and says... He saved the best wine for last. Now, this is a lesson in the way the world operates. The world gives its best things first and the worst things to come later. We can see it even in, uh, quote-unquote, the Christian realm when we think of something like your best life now. And all the other things the world has to offer. We want it now. 
We want the riches. We want the glory. We want the honor now. Your best life now. Like the wine at the feast, the good wine is first and the bad wine is saved for later. Now, this is the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. The non-Christian cannot provide hope for the afterlife. This is why you have things that uh, will say uh, you need to have the good things now and get everything you can. Enjoy life while you're young. Because eventually you're not going to be able to do those things. The Christian heart longs for heaven. The Christian heart longs for heaven. Do you struggle in this life with pain and suffering? Is your heart sad? You see, if you're a believer, know that the best wine is yet to come. And when we reach our heavenly home, that's when the best wine is. Every tear will be wiped away. Even in the prayer request tonight, we prayed for sicknesses and ailments. We do it at our church too. We have them. We have people who are sick. People who have chronic illnesses. We know these things. No more ailments one day. No more sickness. No more death. And what we're all dreading in a few months, no more snow. We'll be in heaven. But much like the wine that Christ gave at the wedding, all the gifts He gives us here are to be enjoyed. This is an important point. He does give you good things here and gifts to enjoy now. He gives you health. He gives you family. All your money comes from Him. All the things that He gives. Enjoy these things with temperance and to the glory of God. Contrary to what some people say, Christians can and should enjoy the things of this life in moderation and to the glory of God. And I'm not advocating buying a big water pot of wine this evening. I'm not saying go out and do that. But what I am saying is that when you eat and drink and whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Knowing that it's partial here. But always know that the best is yet to come if you're a Christian. I had a friend in seminary, and where I went to seminary was on the side of a mountain in Colorado. Literally on the side of a mountain. And the, how they started the seminary, they cut the trees down. The, the guy who started the seminary and his son, they did all the logging themselves. They did everything. They built it from nothing into a, a small seminary. And it's on the mountains in Colorado. And my friend and I used to go up on a little bit higher and we'd overlook the valley. And we'd sit out there and we'd talk to one another and we'd pray and or go over something for class. And I, I used to tell him, man, this is so beautiful. I can't even imagine something prettier than this, overlooking all these trees and seeing all the different things out here. You could see the nature. And it drove me crazy because he'd always say, yeah, but we're still in our flesh, so we're, what we see is tainted by sin. Once we're in heaven and we can see things without sin, it'll be so much better, but right now it's still tainted by sin. And I'm sitting there thinking, just let me enjoy it, man. Just let me enjoy it for a moment. But it's the truth. The best is yet to come in heaven. 
You see, we can enjoy one another's company now. We go to church and we enjoy our fellowship with one another. We enjoy our families. We come together at church. This is one of the... It's supposed to be a little picture of heaven on earth. Church is. And it should be. You should leave excited. You should leave fulfilled in Christ. Not looking for a different gimmick or a game to do something like that to you, but to fulfill you in Christ. To be fed the Word of God. To see Christ clearer today than you did yesterday. These things ought to be, but one day you will see Him in glory. And it will be better than this. This is good. And that's better. Then we get to verse 11 here. In John 2. This is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Jesus manifested his glory. Notice this that as they're at this feast, Jesus didn't go up and command or demand a prominent seat in the feast, although He could have. And it would have been rightfully done. He didn't do that. He stayed back and performed the miracle. Now Jesus could have and should have been the focal point in every event. This shows us His great humility. Now, as He manifested His glory to the disciples by performing this miracle, He demonstrated that He truly is the Son of God. What a wonderful truth this miracle of water into wine is. And what else are we told in verse 11 here? That His disciples believed in Him. This is the whole point of the Gospel of John. Now, my church, we've gone to it a number of times, but at the end of the Gospel of John, he tells you these things are written so that you may believe. That you may believe. And here, Jesus manifests His glory, and they believe in Him. This is why the Holy Spirit preserved this event, the wedding at Cana, for our reading and understanding so that we may believe. Do you know what's sad about today? One of the things that's sad about today, I'm sure if I just asked that as an open-ended question, we could go on for the rest of the night saying, yeah, I know what's sad about today. I watched the news today. Of course I do. One of the sad things about today, though, is we look for miracles of curing cancer. We want something instantaneous. Lengthening legs, healing a headache. We want to see it on TV or in person. And yet we don't look to the Word of God to see the actual miracles that are manifested there. As if we saw it on TV, it would make it more believable to us. This is a problem, and it shows the depth of our depravity. I'd rather read about the water into wine once than see a thousand parlor tricks by charlatans on TV. 
Jesus is the Son of God. Do you believe that Jesus is who He says He is? He is the Son of God. Now, if we do believe that, and you're a Christian, you need to think of this. No matter the circumstances that are going on in your life right now, and I don't know you all very well at all, I don't know what's going on in your life, but you do. The circumstances that are going on in your life right now, the best is yet to come. So if everything's good in your life, it's going to be better. If there are problems in your life, it's going to be great one day. The best is yet to come if you are a Christian. This is not all there is. There is eternal glory. Now you can live your life here in the enjoyment of the gifts from God and know that all of them will pale in comparison to the glory to come. So as much as we enjoy these things now, we look forward to the fulfillment later. And if you're not a believer, this world and its goods are the best you'll have. I think that if this were all we were to have, we wouldn't have much hope at all. Just look around at the world and the chaos. It's falling apart. There's no hope in it. Your hope isn't to be found here. But if you come to Christ, you can have hope for your future. You can and will have an eternal home where you can praise the Savior for all eternity. Jesus Christ, the same one who performed this miracle, bled and died for sinners. And then He rose again, conquering death in the grave. So I encourage you to come to Him in repentance and faith today. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so grateful to be in Your house this evening. I know, Lord, that there are so many things that could have been said and things that were said that weren't said in the best way. But I also, Lord, know that it does not count on me to be eloquent, to bring people to Christ, but it is the Word of God that draws them. Your Spirit will draw them to You. And so I ask, Lord, that anything that was chaff is blown away, but the wheat is harvested, and that hearts are turned to You. As Christians, we can walk out of here knowing that the best is yet to come and we have a glory and a hope and a future in Christ. And if there is somebody who has heard that is not a believer, Lord, that their heart might be turned to You. That they can believe. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ and to the glory of God. That's in Jesus' name that I pray these things. Amen.